Thank you, Richard. Good morning, y'all. <clears throat> My name is Ed Griffinhagen. I'm one of the pastors on the staff here at Church on the Trail. Hey, yeah, there was a line in that song that, that they just let us in. It said, preach to my doubt. That's a powerful line. And if you say you've never doubted, you're just probably lying. But when that, when, you know, when that devil gets all up in your ear and he doesn't, he's not coming with a pitchfork and a cape, right? He's coming with things like doubt. Let me just plant a little bitty seed of doubt. What you need to do? Preach to that doubt. Get away from me, Dad. That's just a, that's a powerful, powerful line. You know, in the world we're living in today, right now, the world is just, is just filled with lies and deceit and deception uh, that all plants little seeds of doubt. Tell it to get away. Preach to it. So, uh, anyway, we are uh, <clears throat> in the second, you know, we've been preaching through, uh, through Romans, through Paul's letter to the church in Rome for months, a few months, and we took a little sabbatical away from that. Last week we um, had what really ultimately is part one that we're going to finish up today of a, of a, a two-part little thing of where we're talking about money and giving and generosity and grace and the, and the gospel and all, all of that. Um, and so if this is your first time here, physically in here, or if you're watching online on YouTube or Facebook for the first time, it's almost like you stepped into our kitchen and you're sitting down at the table in this little family discussion uh, about money and giving and grace and generosity. So welcome to that, but we're going to be back in Romans next week. But probably, if you have been in church for any length of time, probably where we started last week and where we're going to finish today is a discussion about these things in a way that maybe has been very different than you've ever maybe heard uh, that sort of a talk. You know, the truth of the matter is many, many, many churches have some money discussion in January of every year. I just feel like we did it and we're discussing it with a, in a little bit of a different way. Last week, one of the first things we said is that it's not so much of a money issue that it is really, really, really a, a heart issue. You know, you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. You want to know where your heart is, track where the money is going. We said on on this side of the cross, and y'all know when I say that, I mean on the good side of the cross, on the side of the cross where we have bent the knee and been saved. So on this side of the cross, in the church age, in the New Testament era, um, a 10% tithe is the floor of giving. It's not the ceiling of giving. We said um, as Christ followers that, that we give in response to and out of an, an abundance of grace, not guilt, not guilt. Richard said it in, uh, just a second ago. He said, I think he said, it's not some weird obligation. I think those were the words he used. And, and that is, we don't give out of guilt. We're not generous out of guilt. It's out of an abundance <clears throat> of grace. And then we said last week, we said that we give uh, generously, willingly, willingly. We give willingly. We can't Paul used, and in, in we were in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 last week, and, and Paul used the Macedonian church as an example. And so they were begging to give. And so we give, we give willingly. They're begging to be part of that, that campaign, so to speak, for the church in Jerusalem. And so we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first eight or nine verses. Um, and today I want to wrap that up, put a little neat bow on top of it and jump back into Romans next week, but today we're going to be a chapter later in this letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, kind of in the middle starting in verse 6, and again remember this is in the, the context because it's such a key thing, chapters 8 and 9, is, is the context is Paul encouraging the folks in Corinth to to jump into this giving thing for the church in Jerusalem. And so that's the context that is wrapped around most of those two chapters. So starting in verse 6, <clears throat> Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not in some weird obligation like Richard said and not out of guilt like I said so not reluctantly not under compulsion for God loves a cheerful 
giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's a super rich passage, y'all. Super rich passage. Last week, <clears throat> we said that our, our giving ought to be out of an abundance of grace and it ought to be willing. It ought, it ought to be given willingly. And so this week, we're going to start with the idea that we give and we ought to give as Christ followers generously. We give generously. This is a, there's a wealth of generosity that is in this image that's kind of painted here. If you look back at verse 6, and I love the simplicity in verse 6, you know, Paul writes, the point is this. He's like, I'm going to make this crystal clear. Very, very clear. I'm going to make this clear to you. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You reap what you sow. It's sowing and reaping. Like, we see that you know, we're talking obviously spiritual things, but you just kind of see that in, in the world, in, the, in, in your everyday life. You just kind of see that. And so I want to give you a point here. Generous giving to God results in greater giving from God. Ooh, y'all are like, flags just went up. Like, what is he saying? I didn't think that Ed Griffinhagen would say that. Like, stay with me because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Sowing and reaping and reaping and sowing. And absolutely, generous giving to God absolutely results in greater giving from God. But that does not, y'all hear this, we're a soundbite society, so listen to everything I'm saying. It does not, absolutely does not mean that if you give to God, then you're going to get financially rich in return. It absolutely does not mean that. It doesn't. That's what gets sold by the folks on TV. That's what gets sold by the, by the folks producing all these YouTube videos that if you, if you give X amount, then you get X amount back in financial return. Sold $5,000 into my ministry and you'll get returned threefold $15,000. No, that is not what the scripture says. That is absolutely a false gospel sold by false teachers, period. Period, P-E-R-I-O-D, period. It's a false gospel sold by false teachers. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, think about last week. Think about uh, uh, chapter 8. The Macedonian church just blows that entire thought right out of the water because as they're giving, they're living in poverty. Oh, no, the text says they're living in extreme poverty, extreme affliction. They're, they're in famine and they're given to a church that's in famine. So it's not like the Macedonian church gave a bunch of money to the church in Jerusalem and went to their mailbox and opened it up and there was a check for $1,000 from, from God. No that's, no, that's not what Scripture says at all. But they are experiencing um, bountiful blessings flowing from God that far surpass material prosperity. Far surpass it. Like don't promise me material prosperity for my giving. I want something way better than material prosperity. Way better. It is not what we're promised. The entirety of this scripture says from page one on says that we're promised much greater things than material wealth. Much greater things. But generous giving to God does result. It absolutely does result in greater giving from God. And so my prayer like is Lord... Help us to realize and, and, and really understand what that means. 
because we are surrounded every day, y'all, by lies. We're just, we're, we're bombarded with lies. We're swimming every day in a culture, in an ocean of deceit that says the more you have, the happier you'll be. The nicer you have, the more things, the more stuff, the happier you'll be. The more joyful you'll be. Don't buy it, y'all. It is an absolute straight lie from hell. It is. Don't buy it. The more you give, the more you serve, the more joy you will have in your life. That is a guarantee. It is an absolute guarantee. And I'm saying this to us today for our own good, like I'm saying it to myself for my, for my own good. You know, I'm diving in this conversation not so much, um, not because I'm against you, not because the, the Scripture is against you, not because God is against you. God is for you. Like, he wants nothing but the best for us. Do y'all get that? Like he, and you may look at, at even this week what's going on in the world, and you may not, you may say, no, that's not true. He wants the best for every one of us. He absolutely, he does. That's why he's saying these things to us. Joy is not found in having and hoarding more stuff. Joy is found in serving and giving more. Having and hoarding more stuff will kill you. It will kill you. It will drive a stake in your heart. It will kill you. It will mess your mind up. Priorities will get all jacked up, and it will affect your heart. It's a guarantee. It is a guarantee. And so joy from giving and from serving. And then look at this, this little thought, that God gives and provides enough for us. He gives and he provides enough for us. He is a giving God. It's what I love this about, um, about chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians because the Bible says that he is able to make some grace. Is that what it says? No, it says all grace. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having some sufficient sufficiency, no, all sufficiency in all things at all times. Look, God's got it. And then Paul quotes uh, from Psalms, uh, Psalm 112. He says, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God gives enough for us. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's writing to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus. And, and Paul says to him in, in chapter 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul goes on to talk about contentment. And he talks about contentment as having food and clothing. That's what Paul is talking about when he's talking to Timothy about this, like the basics of life. And in the basics of life, God, I got everything that I need, everything I need. So God gives enough for us. But then he gives excess for others. He gives us excess for others. You see that in verse 11. See if you see this. The Bible in verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to, for what? Like why? So you can have more? No, I don't think so. So you can be generous in every way. You'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God gives us more than we need why does he do that? I'm going to give you two potential answers. The, the contemporary American prosperity, health, and wealth gospel says so you can have a new car, so you can get more stuff because God has blessed you, and you can, you can get a new car. Get more, get more, get more, so you can have a new car or a house or whatever it is. But the biblical Christ-centered answer is God gives us more than we need so we can give more away. Our mission in this church is helping people find their way back to God. It's why we do everything we do. Every nickel that is spent is, is kind of filtered through that lens. Is it, at the end of the day, going to help people find their way back to God? Is it going to help somebody who's a Christ follower in their walk? Is it, or is it going to help get the gospel in front of and the truth compassionately spoken to someone who is not a Christ follower? And so God gives us more than we need so that we can give more, enough, uh, more away. He gives enough for us 
but then he gives us excess for others. And it's not even just he gives us excess for others, but he gives us excess for others forevers, right? It's not just is it about meeting a physical need? Of course it is. Is a physical need um, a necessity? Of course it is. You know, folks got to eat, right? Folks got to eat. But it's way more about their forever and about their eternity. It's the whole point in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When you live in that contentment, then you're freed up to give generously if you're living in that contentment. And so, like, I want to encourage all of us, and, and me and Susan absolutely are so included in that, to just establish in our lives a line of enough. Do y'all hear that? A line of contentment. A line of enough. And, it, and it's like it says, okay, I'm going to live, I'm going to find this level of contentment without always looking for the next more, 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 more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this level of contentment without having to be hunting for more stuff or for more things or to earn more, whatever. This, this, this line of enough. And it's not that there's some, I can't give you some specific rule that what, it, what that looks like for you or for you or for you. I, I don't know. I don't know because we're all different. But I'm asking us to say, okay, what are the necessities of my life? You know, if you're married, what are the necessities of our life? If you got kids, it's what are the necessities of, <clears throat> of me and my wife and our kids? What are the necessities of our life to identify that but to minimize the luxuries? And in our culture, in America, it's super hard, y'all, to minimize the luxuries. Is it not? Super hard. The reality is as long as we're living in our culture, in this society, in America, we're going to be surrounded by luxuries. Y'all, a bed is a luxury. Not everybody in the world has a bed. Our generation's ministry serves families every single week where children are sleeping on the floor. Any of y'all slept on the floor lately? Unless it was by choice. They're sleeping on the floor. Their mamas and daddies may be sleeping on the floor. A bed, and you know what? I'm getting on out on the table. I sleep on a bed. Me and Susan sleep in a bed. Not just a bed, we sleep in a king-size bed. So, so, but in the grand scheme of things, y'all, a bed is a luxury. We eat with a knife and a fork and a spoon. They're luxuries at the end of the day. I'm not telling you to go eat with your fingers because if you're a man, your wife's going to slap you if you eat with your fingers. You know, a napkin, y'all, is a luxury. I remember one time I got, Susan was at work, she gets home, and, and Zach, my oldest son, he's about five years old, and we were eating something, and she walked in all chipper, and Zach had something on his face from eating, and he went like this. She looked right at me. And like I was in so much trouble because I did that. I used to do that all the time. Bottom line is napkins are luxuries. All these things, are, they're, they're, they're all luxuries in the scheme of, of the world. So as long as we're living in a culture, we have those luxuries, I'm, I'm asking us, to be discerning, to be honest, I guess, with ourselves, but to be discerning and to just to find a way to minimize the unnecessary luxuries. But don't ask me what's unnecessary for your life. I, I, I don't know. You, you kind of got to figure that out in prayer. Figure it out. You know, John Wesley, probably one of the greatest preachers, pastors, shepherds that ever walked the planet, 18th century pastor. He had a few things to say about how Christians should give. And I'm going to preface what I'm going to tell you about what Wesley said with these are going to be hard words to hear. But this is what he said. He said that Christians should give away all but the plain necessities. Actually, he used the word necessaries. Christians should give away all but the plain necessaries of life. And that is plain, wholesome food, clean clothes, and enough to carry on one's business. He said that capital needs shouldn't be given away, but that all income should be given to the poor after the bare necessaries were met. And then he goes on, and this is where it's going to get, you're going to squirm a little bit. He said, any Christian who takes for himself anything more than the plain necessaries of life lives in an open habitual denial of the Lord. 
Y'all, them are some strong words. But it's a lot like what Paul said to Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. One time Wesley said this. This is even going to be harder to hear. He said, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, anybody know how much money 10 pounds is? I don't know, whatever it is. He said, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and all mankind bear witness against me that I lived and died a thief and a robber. Paul said, and I'm paraphrasing Paul a little bit, he said, when you desire more and more and more, it will plunge your soul into ruin and eternal destruction. So John Wesley, kind of putting feet to his words and putting, uh, uh, committing his life, I guess, to his words that he said, he made it real and he, did, he said this, he, he said, okay, I'm going to figure out what my level of contentment is and that's where I'm going to live from now until the Lord takes me home. I'm going to figure out where my level of contentment is, where my line of enough is, and that's the way I'm going to live. And for Wesley, for the rest of his life, whenever he made more than whatever that line was, he gave every nickel away. At the end of John Wesley's life, he was making, in our money, he was making uh, what would be about $160,000 a year, and he was living a $20,000 lifestyle, and he was giving $140,000 away. Like, he was freed to give that away. What if we believed like that? What if we acted on a belief like that? What if we said uh, a $50,000 lifestyle, a $40,000 lifestyle, $75,000, I don't know. Whatever it is, as it gets up, then we kind of, if it gets up to a $200,000 lifestyle and I'm making $200,000, that's the way I'm going to live. It doesn't have to be that way. What Wesley did is such a good model. And it's so different than the way that the world says. The culture is not encouraging you to live like that. And so the prayer is, Lord, give us grace. Just give us grace. Change our hearts. Give us the grace to understand um, principles that we can pull out of Scripture to understand them the way that that you would understand them. It's like I, last week, and if you weren't here, you know, go back and look in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus is watching the people give uh, money in the temple complex. Go back and read that narrative, and you will see how he views giving. And so it's the prayers, Lord, let us see giving. Let us see serving. Let us see relationships with our wife, relationships with our husband. Lord, let us see all of that the way that you see it, that's the prayer. That's what, like, Christ-likeness, that's what it means to see things the way the Lord sees things. So I believe that he gives us excess for others. Think about it. Like, really think about it. What if God actually did, in fact, desire for his name and his glory to be known among all? Every people group in the world. What if he actually, because the scripture is going to say that, but we may not always believe it. What if he actually did that? What if he actually desired for that to be the case? What do you think he would do? If he wanted his name to be known across the planet, what would he do? Maybe he would give his people, all right, listen to these words, maybe he'd give his people unprecedented wealth in the history of the world to make his worth and his name and his grace and his love known throughout the world. I'm going to say that again. Maybe he would give his people unprecedented wealth in the history of the world to make his name and his grace and his mercy and his love to make his name known across the world. Well, hello, y'all. That's exactly what he's done. Look at America. America is the richest country that has ever lived in the history of the planet. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I do care, but I don't care about what's going on in the last year. We're still the richest planet in the history, uh, richest country in the history of, uh, of the planet. And so that's exactly what he has done. He's done. Lord, let us, let us not waste it, y'all. He has given excess, not for Ed, not for you. He's given excess for others. We have worldly wealth in America, worldly wealth in Georgia, worldly wealth in Columbus, Georgia, worldly wealth in our church and church on the trail. And it's all for the sake, with a kingdom mindset, it's all for the sake of the worldwide worship of Jesus Christ. So we give generously.
and then we give cheerfully. Look what the text says. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is not intended to be forced giving. It's not guilt giving like we talked about last week. Now, some folks may say, well, it don't feel cheerful for me to sell my house. It doesn't feel, feel cheerful for me to, to, to sell my, my boat, and God wants me to be cheerful. So if I do that and I'm not cheerful, then God wouldn't want me to give. But okay, you could look at it that way. I mean, you're free to look at it however you want to look at it. So you could look at it that way. I just don't think that that's the response that the Word and the Holy Spirit are trying to stir up in us. I don't think that's the way it is. I think it's more like, Lord, give me a new want to her. Give me some new want to. Give me a new heart. How many times does Paul talk about when we, when we bow the knee and say yes to the offer that he makes, we're a new creation, right? How many times in Scripture does it say that? Lord, give me a new heart. Change my heart. Change, let me take this, these lenses that I've been living and looking through life through for 35 years off and when I get saved and I put these new lenses on and everything does look different, Lord, let that be my life. Let me look at everything differently. Give me, give me a new heart that says there are way, way better things that I could be doing than what I may have been doing. And in the process, I give cheerfully. Now, in light of that, here's another little perspective. We are not forced by God to give. We are freed by God to give. We're not forced by him to give. We're freed by him. So that's why the question is not really somehow like, and I get this question from people. It's not, okay, and the truth of the matter is, if I'm transparent, 20 years ago, I asked the same question. So, but the question is not like, like oh, okay, Pastor Ed, um, how much do I have to give? Just give me the number. Tell me the number. How much do I have to give? You give me the number, I'll write a check. You know, that, but that's not the question. That's not what they're asking here in the New Testament. It's not. They're asking how much can we give. Not how much do I have to give. How much can we give? How much more can I give? They're begging. They're begging to give more. It is a mindset thing, y'all. It is a worldview thing. It's a viewing, the life through, viewing our life through the sacrificial lens of the cross thing. You know, it's like one time several years ago, and, uh, and this may be a bad analogy, but it's one I thought of, and I, I think it'll make a little bit of sense. You know, uh, I don't know, it's maybe eight or nine years ago, the Lord used Susan to, uh, to teach me something, and it makes me so mad because he does that all the time. And so he used Susan to teach me something that in the moment seemed like a little bitty thing, but in, in a little bit of hindsight, it was not a little bitty thing, it was a very big thing. It was a very big thing. It was a Tuesday night, or depending on how you look at it, early, early Wednesday morning. It was like 1.30, 1.45, so it's super late or early, however you're looking at it. And I just kind of remembered, oh, my gosh. I, gotta, I, said, I said to her, oh, my gosh, I got go to I go to Bible study in, in four and a half hours because I had Bible study at, at 6 o'clock. I said, oh, my goodness, I got to go to Bible study in four and a half hours. And she just immediately said, no, 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 no. You don't got to go to Bible study in four and a half hours. You get to go to Bible study in four and a half hours. Y'all, that is a different perspective, man. That's a different way of looking at it. And so in applying it to, to giving, it's not, don't ask, how much do I have to give? Because that guilt, which is inherent in that question, is, a, is not a sustainable motivator for anything. I said last week, I could guilt you into pass a bucket and guilt everybody in this room, throw $10 in there. It's not a sustainable motivator really for anything. It's definitely not a, a sustainable motivator for giving. So it's how much can I give. It's looking at it, uh, looking at it differently. It's looking at it through a new perspective. And all of that is an outpouring of the gospel. Every single bit of that is a demonstration of the gospel. We give as a demonstration of the gospel. Jump back uh, to one of the passages from last week, verse 9 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul had built up using this Macedonian church as an example, but in verse 9, he, he kind of changes and he uses the Lord himself uh, as an example. And if you look, what does the text say? 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, so Jesus, he's talking about he is rich, obviously not, he's talking, not talking about money, but he was rich, he was enthroned in glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing this Trinitarian dance. It's just majestic. And so the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in this joyful relationship that is overwhelmingly beautiful. But what does he do? What does the Son do? What, is, what does he do? He becomes poor. Well, that's the, he sacrifices. He sacrifices. That's the essence of the gospel, y'all. He sacrifices. You think about it. Think about it. How, does the, how should the gospel affect giving? Here's how it should. We should sacrifice something, something for the benefit of others. Something. We should sacrifice something for the benefit of others. And, 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 and sometimes people will say this, and you may be thinking this right now. Well, are you saying then that all my stuff is bad, that my house is bad, my guns are bad, my boat's bad, my car's bad, that all that stuff is bad? That's like this defense mechanism that rises up in people. Like, don't be telling me that everything that I got is bad. Don't be saying that because it's not bad. Well, here's the thing. If that's our frame of mind, if that's our frame of reference, as long as that's the question that we're asking all the time, you're, we're just never going to get to the heart of the issue. We're not. And so it's not that things of themselves are, are bad. It's, it's not the point. It's not that money is evil. The love of it is evil. It's not that the house or the car or the boat or the guns or the whatever are evil, but when they get in between you and the relationship with the Lord, that's not a good thing because you almost are worshiping those things like an idol, right? And so it's the love and the almost worship of those things that can happen. The point is that we sacrifice good things for the sake of other folks. One of our values is on the wall out there that we sacrifice things we love for things that we love more. Think about that. Is it a sacrifice if what I'm giving up, I don't care nothing about. That's not sacrifice. There is no sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. That's like a, you know, stating the obvious, right? We give up, we sacrifice, we give up things we love for things that we love more. I would give my life tomorrow for her. I love my life, y'all. Like, I love my life, but I love her more. I would, li I would jump in front of the train tomorrow, slit my throat for her or for Zach or for Will or for little Z. In a second, that is what sacrifice is. You know, think about it. That is Christ. That is the gospel. Did he have to dethrone himself in some way? Did he have to, uh, did he have to save us? Did he have to make salvation available to us? Did he have to leave that, that, that uh, and I'm speaking metaphorically, did he have to leave the throne? Did he have to leave the holy Trinitarian dance? Did he have to do that? No, he didn't have to do that, but he did. He sacrificed to become, to become a, quote, a little helpless baby, to become a man, to live in poverty, to live in humiliation. He did all that so that in that, me and you might become rich. So then in, in light of that, it makes sense for us to sacrifice all kind of good things. And to sacrifice, we said it last week, there is no sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. And so I want us to be honest as people, as individuals, as a church family, as married couples, as, as whatever. Do we give to the poor? Absolutely we give to the poor. But do we give to the poor to the point where it might hurt just a little bit? Just, I'm not asking you to fall on a sword, y'all. But I'm saying, does our giving, does our serving, does it, does it, is there just a little bit of inconvenience or even just a little bit of hurt? Are we having to let go of things that we want? But that's what the gospel compels us to do, to sacrifice for others, to sacrifice for others. I know the people that serve in, in the TOTS area, in the kids area, wherever it may be, serve in the cafe, serve on the parking team, wherever it is, there's Sunday mornings where they don't feel like doing it. But sometimes, y'all, 
even when you don't feel like doing it, you put one foot in front of the other. And you may not, you may not want to do it. But the joy that comes from serving and giving outweighs that feeling once you get up and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, and so you may be saying at this point, Ed, bro, like, you don't understand this at all. Like, you have no idea. You don't understand economics. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. Like, if, if you sell everything that you have and you spend it, then you're missing out on what you could be giving away if you would, were to just invest it. Like, take the $10,000 and, and invest it in something, and 20 years from now you may have $100,000. I don't know what the... What the the, the return is, whatever it is, but I'm going to put this money in this vehicle and then, and then I maybe 20 years from now I got 100, 150, 200,000, whatever it is. You just don't under, you, we need to invest it. Well, okay, number one, I'm not telling you to sell everything that you own and go live in the woods. Although for some that may be what, that may be the route that the Lord has for you. I don't know. But I'm not compelling that. Y'all, and number two, I'm not saying that investment is wrong. I'm not saying, of course I'm not saying that investment is wrong. But there's, and the scripture paints some pictures of investment, for sure. But I, so I'm not saying that it's wrong, but there's other types of investment. I mean, just to be blunt, there's people starving right now. Is there not? There are people starving right now as we speak. We learned just the other day, Susan and I did, that a lot in our homeless ministry, that a lot of the places, because you know that when we go out in the streets and we serve the homeless community, um, and, and is, there a, is there a physical need? Of course there is. But the point is not the hamburger. The point is not the, the chicken. The point is Christ, right? The food gives us a license. Gives, the food gives us a right to speak Jesus into their life. We've been told for quite a while that there's tons of places that food is available. Well, we learned this week that in the days of COVID, that's not so true anymore. That there is sure enough real hunger within the homeless community, that a lot of the places that served and have been serving food just aren't, as if somehow COVID affects hunger. I'm not sure how that works. So there are people starving, people malnourished as we speak right now. And not just, we're not talking about overseas, we're talking about, we're talking about here. And so investing in that, you are literally investing in life. Or you may be saying you can take that $10,000 and you put it in the bank, 100000 whatever it is, and, and, and whatever after however many years. Well, what if you take that $10,000 and you invest it in a church? And, you, and, and I'm speaking figuratively of the dollar amounts too, y'all. But you invest it in, in a church. And you invest it in a church that's a gospel-centric, Jesus-focused, gospel-spreading church. They may be on the trail. That church, they may be on the trail for the Lord. They, and, or they may, be, they may be planting a church in a, in a group of, uh, of people that have not really heard the gospel. And so there's a church that plants there. Or they may be on a trail and they're getting in communities where the gospel, where it's dark, like it's really dark, and they're bringing some light into that community. And then all of a sudden, and you've, in, you've, you've invested in that. And then in that community, all of a sudden, the Lord starts, starts doing stuff, right? He start, and he's raising up leaders within that community. And in that community, another church kind of gets planted. And in that little church plant right there, the Holy Spirit is shucking and he's jiving. And I don't know that the Holy Spirit shucks and jives, but roll with me. He's shucking and he's jiving in that community. And, and, and he raises some missionaries out of that. And those missionaries go into the Amazon area. Those missionaries, maybe they go into Africa. Maybe they go into China. And before you know it, y'all, revival is taking place. And hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that would have died and gone to where? To hell are not in hell. They're living in eternity with Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? That's the investment, y'all, that I'm talking about. We're not looking for this necessarily this return 30 years from now. We're talking about an investment 30,000 years from now, assuming the Lord doesn't come back. That is a biblical investment, right? People are dying lost every single minute of every single day. And it is an honor and a privilege to be in a place where we can play even some little role in one person.
it starts, y'all, with one person. And you don't know what's going to happen to that one 14-year-old kid that gets led to the Lord. And he gets married. And his, his great-grandchild is a believer. Because you put $10 in the offering bucket. And somehow we got a meal into his hand. And he came to know the Lord. And his great, 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 great grandchild is a believer because of that. That's the investment I'm talking about. Don't be telling me to buy a bond. I ain't buying no bond. I'm buying a hamburger. Do y'all get that? It makes a difference. Like, it makes such a difference in people's forevers. It does. That's, that's what we're talking When I say we're on the trail, that's the definition of being on the trail. And there's tons of examples like that, so don't limit your, your investment thinking to the way that the world defines investments. Again, we're investing in things that don't just bring a profit 30 years from now, but pay massive dividends over the next 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 30,000 years assuming again the Lord doesn't come back. So we, so we spend our resources with other people's forevers in our crosshairs. And all of that is to promote thanksgiving to God. We give to promote thanksgiving to God. Look at what the end of verse 11 says. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which what does that result in? It results in thanksgiving to God. There's a prayer in that, man. There's a prayer in that. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not, because he's talking about this thing with the church in Jerusalem. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So I want you something else, what, what happens when we're doing it the way that, uh, the way that God has de designed it and laid it out. Don't you ever forget, and this is a huge principle, because God's just wired it up this way, that giving, and maybe even giving corporately, giving together, it, unite, it, it unites God's people. It, it unites the people of God. And I'm not God, so I don't understand necessarily how he does it, but I identified maybe a step, if that's the word, two steps, and it's this. Number one, we give, I think it's on the screen, yeah. We give regularly, we ought to, give regularly and systematically and methodically to the church. And, and when I say the church, you know, our definition of the church is the entire body of Christ. But in this conversation, I'm talking about a local assembly, okay? So people, we give regularly, methodically, systematically to the church, and then the church deals responsibly with the gift. And if the church deals responsibly with the gift, which that doesn't mean that everybody in this room or watching is going to agree 100% with how every single nickel is spent, but I will tell you this, our yardstick is, is it helping people find their way back to God? Our yardstick is, is it helping put the gospel in front of somebody or is it helping somebody who is a believer grow in their spiritual maturity and their spiritual walk? So you give systematically and methodically and the church deals with those gifts responsibly. And so through our giving and the church dealing with it responsibly, what happens? God is exalted. His goodness and his graciousness and his mercy and his love is so put on a pedestal that it's so attractive when we do it right, people can't help but fall on their knees and say, save me right now. That when it's working the way he designed it to work, it works. There's another obvious statement. When it's working the way he designed it to work, I'm going to copyright that, it works, right? So, and that's the gospel, I said a minute ago, it's a demonstration of the gospel. So the question is, do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe that what we say we believe is really real? Have our hearts been transformed by it? Have our hearts been changed by it? And y'all, I could go on for another hour. I'm not. I want to do this, though. 
I want us to pray. And this will be a little different than what we usually do. I want to pray first, I guess, and then for a few minutes, a few short minutes, we're just going to spend a few short minutes in silence. And I hope and I trust that the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, in your mind, maybe impressing upon you what you what your response needs to be, because I can't tell you what your response needs to be. And, but I do want to do this, and if you don't have a worship guide, I want you to raise your hand because we've we got to get a worship guide in your hand if you don't have one. There's a blank piece of paper in there, and I want you to write something on that piece of paper. And if you ask your question, what do I need to do? Answer this question. What do I need to do? Is there something I need to sell? Is there something I need to give to the church? Is there something I need to do away with? Is there something I need to remove from my life so that I can be freed up to give and to serve more? Should I sell this? Should I give this away? And you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, he wants me to, to, to come bring that piece of paper up and give it to him or put it in the offering box or tack it to the cross. No, I don't. I want you to fold it up and put it in your wallet or fold it up and put it in your purse or fold it up and put it in your pocket. And then I want you to get on your phone and say Siri or whatever name your phone is, remind me in a month to open up the piece of paper and look at it. In a month, when you do that, I want you to then look at the paper and just examine, is your life any different than it was a month ago? Have you changed anything? And then I want you to fold it up, put it back in your wallet, and do it again in a month or 45 days. Have I figured out my own line of enough? Have I figured out my line of contentment? Am I serving more? Am I giving more Has the Lord sort of spoken to me through his word or through friends or through prayer? And has he impressed on me some changes that I need to make in my life for someone else's forever? That is the key, for somebody else's forever. So let me pray. <clears throat> let me pray, uh, and then we're just going to be quiet for a minute. <sighs> Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much for your grace and mercy. It is so undeserved. For me in particular, Lord, I confess it is so, so undeserved. But Lord, my prayer in this conversation is that you would change our hearts, change our minds, give us a new perspective on giving and generosity, that we would be cheerful, that we would give willingly, that we would be generous, that we would be sacrificial in our, in our giving, in our serving. Lord, change our want to her today. Lord, lead me and my wife into, into understanding this contentment thing and, and, and lead Susan and I to understand and, and to really identify the things that we may have that we just don't need, that are in excess. Let us focus with everybody in our church family. Let us focus on the other guy's forever. Lord, that's what you call us to do. That's what your gospel compels us to do. And so Lord, let all of us focus on that in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Lord, we thank you. We love you, Lord. I ask you to just speak through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Just speak to all of us. Make it just crystal clear to us, Lord. We love you, and it's in your son's name. Hey, y'all, it's hot up in here. Unless it's the Holy, unless it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. Man. Here's the deal. I said a minute ago. 
all of this conversation is a demonstration of the gospel. Did I not? It's all a demonstration of the gospel. What is the gospel? Super simple, crystal clear. I turn away from, I repent, I turn away from my sin, and I turn towards the Lord. I turn away from my dumbness, my stupidity, my jacked upness, my sin, whatever it is. Ultimately, I guess I turn away from myself. I die to myself. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards the Lord and I accept and really believe that Jesus died on that cross to take care of all of my dumbness, right? That's a simple gospel. I'm a sinner. I need saving. I turn away from it and he saves me. Y'all, that is simple. It is so simple. You ain't got to go to school for it. You don't got to go to seminary for it. You don't got, you, you, it's just simple. And it's black and white in the scriptures. And so if that is you today and you have never said yes to that offer, I'm begging you to consider that. I can't believe for you. Your husband can't believe for you. Your wife can't believe for you. You can't believe for your kids. So I'm, but I, so I'm asking you to consider it. And I am asking you to consider it right now if you haven't. So if that's you and you want that, just I want everybody to close, close your eyes and let me just lead us through a little prayer. And I want you to understand these words do not save you. Jesus Christ saved you. The words may help get it out, but the words are not going to save you. His sacrificial death on that cross is going to save you. But Lord, I do repent of my sin. I, I'm turning away from it, and I'm, in, and I'm turning towards you. And Lord, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I'm begging you to save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you, our prayer team is going to be back in the back. They would love to pray with you, pray for you. Um, and, I, and I would beg you to let us know that that happened to you. If it's online, let us know on our website. And if, if you're in here and that happened, fill out a little connection card. Give us your name, phone number, email, whatever. And let us know that you got saved today. And we just want to walk it with you.